today we're kicking off a new series, and we're going to be in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, and we're going to unpack a long list of incredible historical events, and Dave's actually kicking that off for us today. But before he does that, we actually wanted to provide for you a how did we get here? Because what we find at the beginning of Exodus is that this people of God are now comprised of somewhere around and perhaps even over one million people. So I'm going to briefly summarize the book of Genesis for you. It's a long book, so the summary is going to take a little while. Um, And the first book of the Bible, um, so that right before we get to Exodus, you'll kind of be able to lean into how we actually got here. Genesis means beginning, and it starts with the account of God creating the universe with the earth in it, and on the earth, he creates everything that we know, including humans. In its original context, then, it served to claim that all of the things that people worshipped the sun, moon, stars, animals, planets, etc., are not actually gods themselves, but part of the one true God's creation. God calls all his creation good and makes it clear that he is giving humanity a special place to partner with him in ruling over the earth and harvesting its full potential. This is the picture of the Garden of Eden. But instead of this joint rule that God intended, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, decide that they would like to rule the earth realm autonomously and cut God out of the loop. We call this rebellion. God calls it sin. But instead of depending on God's idea for an ordered creation, they desired to experiment with their own ideas of how to do life well. It was a bad plan. This fractures their relationship with God, obviously. But we also find that this biggest fracture has ripple effects and leads to the fracturing of everything else. Their relationship between one another, for instance, They are immediately thrown into shame, and their marriage relationship fundamentally changes for the worse. They will now be plagued by misplaced desires and competition within their marriage. And that's not even all. Also, their relationship with the created order itself is broken. And so through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see this downward spiral of humanity. What was once God's majestic triumph in creation, the royalty of universe, is now deposed. So you'd think this would be the end of the tragic drama, but no, where humanity refuses to follow God, God for some reason chooses to preserve them and even work with them on behalf for their redemption. And then in Genesis chapter 12, we discover why. He has a rescue plan in mind for humanity. God even lets us know his rescue plan. It begins by choosing to bless one family, Abraham's family, and then through that one family, bless all the other families on earth. We don't know why he wants to do it that way, but if we know anything about this God, it's that he doesn't prefer to work unilaterally. He actually seems to prefer working with humanity to accomplish his purposes, the same way he wanted to work with Adam and Eve. So God chooses a family. We'd expect this family to be extra holy, very smart, comprised of heroes, but it's actually quite the opposite. This family turns out to be completely dysfunctional. Abraham cowardly gives his wife Sarah away to other rulers to save his own skin. Sarah makes Abraham sleep with her handmaiden. Abraham's grandson Jacob is this super greedy guy who cheats his older brother out of his inheritance. And then, shocker, Jacob's ten sons turn out to be just like him. And motivated by jealousy, they conspire to kill their brother Joseph because he has a better wardrobe. But we find out that what they meant for evil, God actually intended for good. By selling Joseph into slavery, Joseph ends up spending a couple of years as a servant in the royal palace of Egypt before rising to power as a dream interpreter and predicting a great famine in the land. 
He then works as Pharaoh's top advisor in Egypt and oversees the preparation for the coming famine. His work leads to the common good of millions of Egyptians, as well as his own brothers and all the descendants of Abraham who traveled Egypt as refugees for relief from the famine. So now, Jacob and his 12 sons are all in Egypt and find favor and prestige in the culture and community because of God's protection and plan for Joseph's life. And that is how Genesis ends. These are the final verses. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Fantastic. You should look into this. Let's give her a round of applause. I mean, I feel like I should just close this up in prayer here and head home. That was so good. So thank you for um, entering us into the biblical story. And so we are going to be in the second book of what's called the Pentateuch, which is the book of five, or sometimes it's called the Torah. And this is the first five books of the Bible, and they're really one book together. And so we wanted to give you what's kind of the prelude. Interesting to say that about Genesis. It's almost, it's better to think of it as the prelude to Exodus when God really starts to form his people Israel and so, and, 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 and help them become a nation. So really good job, Claire. So I'm really excited as we enter into this new teaching series. Now I'll tell you real quick, we... We were all over the place. There's so many things that we want to say after a, a big year like 2020 and all the things that we experienced and are still experiencing. There's so much that sort of floods my mind and, and, I, and we want to talk about. And um, God really guided us towards Exodus. We have two other sermon series that we were like ready to go with. And then as it got closer, we we're like, I don't think that's the right thing right now, but it's something to look forward to later in this year. So we have a, a series that we want to do. Uh, on a book of wisdom. I won't tell you which one it is because teasers are great. A book of wisdom that will really speak to the existential angst that we all experience in 20, have experienced in 2020 and are experiencing still now. So that existential angst, the book, a book of wisdom that will help us unpack that and process that and continue to move forward. So that's something to look forward to in 2021. And we also have a vision series on the five C's, vision series on the five C's that I'm really excited about. But you know what? That's not for today and not for the next five months. The next five months, we are going to be unpacking God's story through the book of Exodus about him creating a people, um, bringing them out of slavery, and moving them into the promised land. So that's what the book of Exodus is about. So let me just pray before we dive in. Would you bow your heads? If you want, you can put your hands up like this as we pray. Heavenly Father, we admit, as we sang this morning, your evidence is all around us. Your goodness, even at times when it's hard to see, is there and it's clear if we pause and breathe, listen and see all that you're doing, all that you have given to us, even in a challenging time such as this. So we pause now. We come today and we put our agenda on pause 
It's not about us. It's about your glory. And so we come here today acknowledging that with our presence and in anticipation wanting you to reveal yourself to us so that we might know you, that we might see you clearly, and that we might respond to your glory in the proper ways in our lives. So be with us now. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Remove any distractions, God, and help us just to lock in on you and your revelation in your word. We thank you for this book. We thank you for the things that you've done in the past and continue to do in the present. It's in Jesus' name that we can come before your throne and ask these things. And so we call upon the name of Jesus now. And by his spirit we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, why the exodus? Well, the exodus is all about movement. It's all about movement. And uh, if you're like me, I need some movement in my life right now. Exodus is all about God Though his people waited for 400 years, and it required tremendous perseverance and endurance, they waited, but then God moved. And so today we'll talk about how God moves and how he's moving even in our world today. God always wants to move us somewhere. And that's going to be the big idea of this entire series. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to unpack the big idea of the entire sermon series, give you uh, kind of an introduction to Exodus, and then next week we'll start to dig in chapter by chapter to this very long but beautiful book. And so here's the big idea. The big idea that we'll unpack through all of this series is God moves us out to move us in. God moves us out to move us in. So today I'm going to unpack what that means. And what we'll get to do in the book of Exodus is just look at these amazingly iconic scenes that surely you've heard about. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, even if you've never read the Bible, you probably know about these iconic scenes. In fact, I went back this week and, and watched two very... <laughs> Uh, expensive productions on the book of Exodus because people have been fascinated with this story for thousands of years, 5,000 years. But even in recent history, have you heard of uh, the classic movie Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Have you heard of this? Some people probably haven't. <laughs> That's okay. Believe it or not, it's uh, adjusted for inflation. It's the eighth highest grossing movie of all time. And it's a three hour and 39 minute Hollywood production on the book of Exodus. Can you believe that? It's totally fascinating. And one of the most fascinating things about, I'd never actually watched this movie, I'd heard about it. The most fascinating thing to me was, and you gotta remember, no Netflix back in the day, so anybody that saw this movie saw it in the theater, and the very beginning, it's a three hour and 39 minute movie, and the very beginning starts with the director, Cecil, B. DeMille walking out in front of a curtain and giving a three to four minute introduction to the movie. And he says some very interesting things. He said this. He's just standing here in front of a curtain like this. And I'll picture America watching this movie. This man steps out and he says, this story we're about to tell is the story 
of the birth of freedom. He said the theme of this picture is whether men are to be ruled by God's laws or if they are to be ruled by the whims of a dictator like Ramesses. Fascinating. Then he goes on to say, are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? Eighth highest grossing movie in history. And there's a man standing just telling people that this is what his movie is about. And then he goes on to say, the same battle continues throughout the world today. And he says, our intention and goal was not to create a story, but to be worthy of the divinely inspired story created 3,000 years ago within the five books of Moses. And he finishes by saying, it took us three hours and 39 minutes to tell that story. Just fascinating. Fascinating. That was 65 years ago. Can you imagine that same thing happening today? But yet we're still fascinated by this story because in 2014, another major Hollywood production produced, directed by Ridley Scott, you may have heard of him, famous director, did another movie on the Exodus called Exodus, God and Kings. Watch that this week as well. It's like, what is the world saying about Exodus? Starring Christian Bale, you may know him as the Dark Knight, Batman. Starring as Moses. And that's not as long, still two hours and 30 minutes. People just feel like they can't do justice to this story in a normal time slot, which I appreciate, because you can't. This is God's story. And so it's fascinating that this imagery of the Exodus and the language of the Exodus is everywhere. The anti-slavery movement at the turn of the 19th century, the language of Exodus was the language of the anti-slavery movement. The civil rights movement is chocked full of language from this book, the book of Exodus. Let my people go is the cry of God's people. It's everywhere. You cannot escape the echoes of the Exodus. So it's not just the story of the Hebrews living in Egypt, as we'll see, but it's our story as well. And, and the world seems to recognize that it's everyone's story. But we must understand the story as it's written to understand how it truly is our story and how we step into it now. Because we are not in slavery in Egypt right now, but yet this story has just as much impact on our lives if we understand it and apply it as it did to the Hebrews in slavery in Egypt. So, when you do a series like this, a series where there's been many renditions of the story, we've probably at some level engaged with these narratives and maybe even grew up in the church and heard about this and heard bad tellings of this story. <laughs> we probably have lots of questions. So one of the things we're going to try in this series, not this, not starting this week, but starting next week, is after each service, we're going to post a Q&A Zoom. So this would be great to jump on. If you have questions uh, that come up during the sermon or if you have questions just about the Exodus or if you just want to talk with 
the pastors. Now, I do have to say this. Probably for the next couple weeks, you'll be stuck with me only on the Q&A because Pastor Ryan and his wife Christy had their third daughter on Friday night. Viviana Farrell is her name, eight pounds, some ounces, I forgot already, but definitely eight pounds, I remember that. And she was born, very quick labor, <laughs> uh, and uh, we're very excited for them. So you could be praying for full recovery and health of the baby, very exciting. Uh, so we don't see pa Pastor Ryan here today. Um, we're giving him a couple days off. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so that's very exciting. But we, I will be on it, and then Ryan will jump back on when he jumps back into the, to the fray. And we'll just have a time to talk about whatever questions come up and Q&A. And then, and then many of the cohorts, most of the cohorts, will probably be unpacking this series as well. So there's lots of questions that come up when you study historical narrative like this. So please engage in the other ways that we are providing to engage in the Word of God and learn from the Word of God. That's what we're about here at Sedaris. We start with the Word. We let it illuminate our minds and our hearts so that we might move and act in the world. So we need help doing that, and that's considering it's best done in community. So lots to look forward to in this series. So let me now dive down. The big idea, God moves us out to move us in. And let me try to explain to you what I mean by that. I've got, you're probably wondering, what is this amazing diagram here? I apologize if you're watching online and you can't see this well. Uh, we tested it, so hopefully it's not too blurry for you. But um, can you see over here in the corner? Okay, good. God moves us out to move us in. Now, the easiest way to see that is in the book of Exodus, what we will see is God moving his people, the Hebrew people, the descendants of Abraham, and then ultimately the 12 sons of Jacob that Claire just told us about, living in Egypt as they become a people and they, are, they multiply. They are enslaved in the land of Egypt. They are building all the great uh, artifacts that we, uh, many of which we can still see the ruins of, uh, temples, shrines, monuments to the Pharaoh and his greatness, and um, on the backs of the slaves, many of whom were Hebrews, uh, the people of Israel. And so God is going to move them out. And here's the key. God never just moves us out just to get us out of something. He always moves us out so that he might move us in. And so what we see is God moves the people out of Canaan and move, or sorry, out of Egypt to move them into Canaan, which is the promised land. This is where Jerusalem is to this day, is in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. This is what God was moving them towards. Now, why, why am I bringing this up? It's very important to understand this because oftentimes our conception of freedom is simply freedom from and not freedom for or freedom to. Actually, I'm going to unpack that in, in a little bit, but there's actually three conceptions there. Is it just freedom from or is it freedom to or is it freedom for? So we're going to see what that means today. So he moves them out of Egypt to move them into Canaan, okay? Now, what we'll find in the book of Exodus is this. There's a gap. You see this gap? There's a gap between. It's not an immediate fix. They don't go directly from Egypt to Canaan. 
there's a problem that we don't like that, do we? As Americans, we don't like the gap. We want the gap to be as small as possible. And for some of us, the gap will be small. For others, it will be long. For the people of Israel, their gap was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So let me just put that here. This is the wilderness. This is the wilderness, the gap. Now, what's important about the wilderness? If you try to artificially speed up the wilderness, you'll get stuck in the wilderness even longer, or you'll end up back in Egypt. If you try to tell God what your timing is, he will purposefully, purposely frustrate you. Why is this important? You say, I'm not in Egypt. I'm not in slavery. Let me explain something to you. Everybody has an Egypt, and everybody has a Canaan. Let me just give you a few examples. One example might be a toxic, oh, terrible pen. Okay, where's my other pen? There it is. Look at this. Wilderness. Short wilderness. You'll show what that wilderness was? Okay. Toxic relationship. You ever been in one of those? An unhealthy, unfruitful, destructive relationship. What does God want to do? He wants to move you out of that relationship so that he can move you in to a healthy relationship. Okay? Healthy. Relationship. Now guess what? Guess what? It usually doesn't happen that the day you break off an unhealthy relationship Hours later, you find the love of your life. The most amazing man or woman that you've ever met. There's some wilderness. For some of us, that wilderness lasts a very long time. For others, it's shorter. But there's something that happens in the wilderness that if you just close your eyes and grit your teeth and try to get through it, you will miss what the promise actually is. And so we got to look at that today. What's another example? Another example would be, let me get my notes. <laughs> okay, another example would be addiction. Everybody's addicted to something. Maybe in 2020, you felt the weight of that addiction flaring back up. God wants to move you out of that so that he can move you into something else. He just doesn't want to give you freedom from it. He wants to give you freedom for something else. Guess where you usually learn what the for is? In the wilderness. In the wilderness. On the other side of addiction is um, what I like to call unpolluted agency. Okay? Unpolluted. 
polluted agency. That means you're free to choose the way you want to live. When addiction is overpowering you and enslaving you, you're not free. You have polluted agency. You still have agency, but it's polluted, and you cannot escape. God, by his power, can and will and wants to move you out of addiction so that he can move you in to unpolluted agency. For what? What does he want you to choose? You'll probably learn that in the wilderness. In fact, you can't get to the promised land unless you learn that. I've messed up my color scheme here. I apologize for that. Okay, what else does God want to move you out? Okay? Here's the one that maybe many of us felt in 2020. Isolation. Okay? Isolation. And God wants to move you out of isolation. And what does he want to move you into? He wants to move you into a forever family. Okay? Now, I only know that because I have been in isolation. And had I not had the wilderness, I wouldn't have known what to look for, which is not just companionship, find that in a lot of ways, but a forever family, which I found in the church of Christ. I learned that in the wilderness. And the wilderness even included some stints with trying to find camaraderie, companionship, in other ways. And I learned that they're not the thing that ultimately fulfills me. What's another one? Let's do one more here. Okay. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. God wants you to move you out of guilt and shame. He doesn't want you sitting in that. And he's going to move you. How did I put it here? He's going to move you towards grace-filled love. Okay? This is what God's doing in your life, in my life, in our world. He wants to move us out of something to move us into something else. This is what the story of Exodus is about. Moving us out into a wilderness, this transition needed so that we find the essence of what we are missing so that we just don't walk back into some other kind of slavery, some other kind of bondage, some other kind of guilt and shame, some other kind of unhealthy, toxic relationship, but something better. He's moving us out of something so that he can move us in to his promises. So we've got to ask, how does that work? What is that? In New Testament terms, meaning the New Testament is about the coming of Jesus, in New Testament terms, we call this the already but the not yet, meaning Christ has died, our sins have been forgiven, he has risen from the grave, meaning there's life after death, there's victory over sin, death, and the devil, but... We live in this time when Christ has not yet returned, when the devils of the world still prowl, when sin still seems to have effect on us, when death still takes our life. 
It's the already but the not yet. We are in the church age in a wilderness. And so we have to ask, and Exodus will teach us, how do we learn to live now so that we're ready for the promises that God's moving us into? If we don't learn that lesson now, we might miss out on the promise. Okay? So to help unpack, hopefully this chart helped. I wanted you to be able to see here, okay? I wanted you to see how this works. There's always a gap. Sometimes short, sometimes long. We don't always know. And Exodus is going to teach us how to navigate that. Always knowing that God is moving us somewhere. And he's trying to teach us something in the, in the wilderness, in the waiting. So there's three big themes that you'll see in Exodus that will come out. Chapters 1 through 18, you're going to see the theme of deliverance. This is the stories of Moses uh, being born and Egyptian uh, rulers trying to kill all the firstborn males of the Hebrews because they've heard this prophecy of a deliverer who is to be born. And Moses is raised up then. He's floated down the Nile. I'm giving it away. <laughs> he's floating down the Nile, and he gets found by uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and he's raised in the royal courts. And eventually he learns of his Hebrew uh, family. He ends up fleeing for a bit, then he comes back and he delivers the people from political slavery and bondage. And what's he going to move them to? He doesn't become their king. He moves them towards covenantal, volitional self-governance. It's a very interesting picture. Moving them out of this dictatorship, moving them towards something else, but they don't quite get there. But they learn a lot along the way. So that's the first 18 chapters, which is all about freedom. What is freedom? Exodus is all about freedom. And then we have the second big theme in Exodus, which is the law. So once the people are free from the Egyptians, we get great iconic scenes like the Red Sea. We get to talk about that. They cross over into this peninsula. They end up finding Mount Sinai. On the top of the mountain, God delivers to Moses the Ten Commandments. We've got to talk about the Ten Commandments. You think you know about the Ten Commandments? You're probably wrong. I'm going to teach you a little bit about the Ten Commandments. Oh, don't let me forget to tell you about the Ten Plagues we get to look at. I know you're excited about that, Amanda. FBI. How are you going to deal with the Ten Plagues? Okay. So we get, we get there to Mount Sinai, and God gives them the law, which is what? What is the law? This is, this is that which will guide and direct God's people in the wilderness and beyond so that they might step into the promises that God has for them. So that you need deliverance and you need the law, and that gets us to the third big theme, presence. Throughout the book of Exodus, we get to see the presence of God. When they start the story starts, there seems to have been an absence of God. But God's presence now begins to more fully engulf his people throughout the book of Exodus. And there's this culmination where God comes to dwell with them, to tabernacle with them in the heart of their community in the wilderness. Okay, that's chapters 25 to 40. We get to really unpack what presence means. And that really is, for me, I think, 
The presence of God is the overarching theme of the book of Exodus. So put these three themes together. Freedom, which is how most people like to think about Exodus. If you watch the movies that Hollywood makes, they like to just focus on the freedom piece. Freedom's important. Freedom from is important, but what are we free for? So you need freedom, and then you need law, which is direction, in order to have what? Presence, which is relationship with God. So in the already, but the not yet, that we'll, that we'll study in the book of Exodus, this is beautiful, what we begin to see is that it's in the wilderness that we learn what we are being freed for. And we learn that we are not being freed for the promised land, but the promised land is for something else that you can even find in the wilderness, which is what? Relationship with your God, with your creator, with your redeemer. His presence can fill your life and our community no matter what wilderness we are in, no matter what circumstance we are in. Even if we are still in bondage, we can experience the greatest promise of all, the presence of God. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. Teaching us that we need, and it helps to have freedom from, and direction to, in order that we can find presence. So, so the book of Exodus is really our story. It, it's really a shadow of Christ. Moses is a shadow of the Christ to come. He doesn't actually even get to go in, spoiler alert, into the promised land. Because it's not about Moses. There's one coming who is the greater Moses, the greater deliverer, the giver of the law himself, Christ, God in the flesh, who came to dwell and tabernacle among us. God put on flesh so that we might experience his presence in full. And Christ brings the freedom from bondage, the freedom from sin and devil and death that we so long for. But that's just the first part of it. He also, through the living, resurrected Jesus and the sending of the Spirit, directs and guides us. He gives us a new law, a law written on our hearts, so that we might walk in a way that leads to the full promises. Okay, so the cross is just the beginning it's just the first 18 chapters of Exodus. The freeing from the bondage, the breaking of the chains. Sin is no longer what describes you. Slavery is no longer what describes you. You are free to go. But you must then go. And you must ask Christ to illuminate your heart and your mind so that you might walk in his ways, which is what? The giving of his law, the law of Christ, so that when we walk in freedom now and we walk towards him, we might begin to experience even if we're still in a wilderness, experience life to a degree that we never thought possible. So we need both, even now, freedom and direction. We need deliverance and law in order to find presence and relationship, which is true life with our God. You see, this is our story. This is what Scripture is pointing to and driving to, and that's why really Exodus is the beginning of the story. And Genesis is sort of the prelude so that we might understand the world in which we live in and understand what God is trying to do in it. He's trying to move us out so that he can move us in to his promises. 
into life, into our eternal home, his kingdom, where Christ is king, and we are free, where we have great, healthy relationships. We are free from addiction. We have unpolluted agency, where we are no longer isolated but part of a forever family, where we do not have guilt and shame ruling over our life, but we have grace-filled love pulsating through our veins. That's our story. That's the story of Exodus. That's the story that we get to engage in. So if you want to move from that which he's taking you out of into that which he has prepared for you, you must go through this wilderness and you must learn something along the way. Because if you don't learn along the way, what we'll see is you don't enter in. And what he's trying to teach us along the way, while we are moving through this challenging season, he's trying to teach us that the promised thing The thing that is so good, the reason it is so good is because it's God himself. It's good because God's in it. And so the wilderness will show us that God is the thing we need. Because the Israelites have that even in the wilderness. And once they see that, then God allows them to take the land. But before they see that, while they're still grumbling and, and wanting to go back to Egypt, you'll see that, they want to go back. Slavery is better than this. They're missing the point, which is that their slavery was keeping them from experiencing the fullness of God. They were in bondage. They were being forced to worship the gods of Egypt. They were not free to worship as their heart desired. It's in the wilderness that we remember that God is the prize. It's in the wilderness that we remember. So it's not freedom from, though that's nice, it's freedom for relationship with God. (coughs) Is this making sense? I hope this is making sense. Let me draw one final thing. You ready for this? The final thing I want to point out is this. Bondage. Something is binding you. I don't know what it is for all of you. Something is restraining you. You're not free. God wants to move you out of that. And what he ultimately wants to move you out of, and when you know you're out of it, this is the result. This is the result. You ready for this? Worship. See, I didn't put freedom. Worship. At the end of the day, when you experience freedom from bondage, you are now free for worship. That is what the entire book of Exodus is about. God freeing his people from something for worship. 
And you know your heart is truly untied when it's truly free to worship God. If you feel restriction on your ability to worship God, if you don't feel like you can come to him fully or you, you can kind of only send him emails or you can't come into his presence, you're not free. You've got you to gotta ask Christ to free you, to wash you clean of the guilt and shame, to give you power over your addiction. You must ask for his help to move you out so that he can move you into worship. One of the best ways to know if you're in bondage is do you feel a restriction on your ability to worship? Do you feel eyes watching you? Then you're not free until you can look square at God and be open and freely give yourself. And you don't feel tied down. Then you know you're getting close to what God in Christ Jesus has done on your behalf. I don't know how long this wilderness will last that we're in right now. And there's multi-layers to this. There's multi-layers. It's not just about coronavirus. There's so much more. I don't know how long. But I do know we can have everything that God has died to give us right now. If we will allow him to move us out and into worship. That's my hope for our community, that we might move out of whatever is distracting us, whatever idols we tend to worship, whether it's money or sex or politics, that he might move us out of those idols so that we stop worshiping those and start worshiping him. And we can do it right now, friends. We don't have to wait. It's a choice. He will unpollute your agency so that you can choose to worship him over and above everything else. That's my hope. I'm excited about this series. I hope, I hope it comes through. I'm really excited about Exodus. I'm really excited about learning from this amazing account that God has given us for a very specific purpose. This is not just history. This is theological history. History being told. It's true history, but it's being told in a way that illuminates who God is and what he's doing, which is moving us out so that he can move us in to something greater. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Prince of Peace, Yahweh, the one true God, we pray to you now. We ask for you to give us freedom from so that we might have freedom for your worship. God, I don't know what each and every person listening right now feels entangled by. But God, would you, by your spirit, speak into their ear and tell them that they don't have to be slaves to that. That they can be free. That they can experience free, full worship of you on a regular basis if they will allow you to apply the work of the cross and the resurrection to their life, day in, day out, week in, week out. God, we thank you for those saints that have gone before us, the people who trusted you and followed your voice out of slavery in Egypt, for the great prophets such as Moses, for people like Miriam and Aaron who led your people 
and give us now an example to follow as we seek to follow the example of Christ. Give us strength, give us power in this new year, even if we find ourselves in this wilderness for longer than we expect. God, would you just help us to find you in the midst of it? That is our great hope and joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.